Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer Podcast. Whoa. Podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer FC. I'm Lisa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? Lisa, I'm so hyped. Hyped for I'm what? So hyped. Because the greatest league in the world, TM, is back. What, La Liga? <laughs> yes, your eyes are saying it, you're not saying it. That's what you think. Yeah, well, the Premier League is back and it's been exciting, actually. Never mind about the Premier League. How are you? Oh, how am I? Oh, sorry. I just, I am, I am football. So if football's fine, then I'm fine. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone would think you're a poet? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I'm good. I'm good. I had a very restful weekend. I'm about to start work on another couple of large projects. I just spent this weekend just cleaning and being peaceful and doing Very grown much. up. Yeah, very grown up. Very, had to be done, actually. And the weird thing is, you know, Anyone that's had a proper tidy of their flat realizes that the more you tidy, the more you start finding stuff you like you really need or you've been missing. Oh, I wonder what happened to that. How happened to that? And I start finding like old artifacts from like three years wow. ago. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's been quite cool. Spare spare pair of boot cord cords. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. the bookshelf. <laughs> Journey of self-discovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh let's do some admin quick. So yep, yep. for those of you who enjoy the Stadio Outros playlist or the music that we do play out on and you don't follow it, go to Stadio outros on Spotify. All the tunes we play out on every week, mm. we update it after each episode. Do miss one at the top. Also, yeah, we did the playlist for our last Stadio session. So all of the tunes that are available on Spotify are now in the playlist, along with the other six Stadio, Stadio sessions. Um, Stadio.bandcamp.com for the theme music. If you want to go buy it, we're donating all the money. And apart from that, I've got a piece going up this week on The Ringer, so check theringer.com forward slash soccer. And I think that's all the admin. Yeah. Uh, so today, it's going to be quite Premier League heavy. Yeah. But we're going to run through some of the key games from the weekend. We're recording this a little bit later because we wanted to get a look at Chelsea as well. Yeah. With all of their shiny new toys. Their menagerie. We're going to obviously talk about Klopp versus Bielsa, Arsenal, Everton, Spurs. Then we'll talk about the Classique, a very, very, very spiky Classique in Paris. Women's Super League and a couple of other bits. So yeah, we'll get into it after this. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, man. First Premier League fixture of the weekend was... The first... Fixture. Oh, no, it wasn't, was it? Or it the was biggest, the, it was, the first big, or the biggest fixture. The first was, fixture was the Arsenal. Yeah, of course it was. For some oh. reason, my brain thought this was Friday because it had such Friday night energy about it. Or maybe you're just trying to make this into an Arsenal podcast. No, I'm joking. Maybe um, I'm trying to. Maybe I'm trying to go tenet. So the first, <laughs> no, the first one, the first game, early kickoff, Arsenal Fulham. Never mind that. We can talk about that later. We've no, got Klopp Bielsa to talk about. Okay, we'll get we'll get into that then. Okay, so this this fixture. Because this was the real, this was the, yeah. the headline act. This was the one worth staying in for, as I did on a Saturday night. I really looked forward to this one and it did not disappoint. Liverpool four, Leeds United three. This gave me all my vitamins. <laughs> exactly as you'd hoped. You know, you're expecting like Klopp versus Bielsa. You're expecting some tactical duel. 
which it was to an extent, with a sense that everyone was so busy maybe exposing the weaknesses of the other that they didn't keep their guards up. So it's just, yeah, guards down punching for 90 minutes. And Leeds were at times, I mean, like Liverpool had 20 attempts on goal. So the scoreline in the end was a merited one. Yeah, I mean, I think we should probably start the whole thing by saying I think Liverpool deserve to win. Yeah, yeah, no question. No question. Yeah, I mean, even in their their expected goals tally was pushing three and Leeds was less than one. I think, you know, Leeds had a couple of really good goals. The Jack Harrison one especially was unbelievable. So much so that it kind of looked like he didn't really know what to do when he scored because it was like, I've just scored this goal in front of the cop. Obviously, no fans there, so it's very different. But on the opening day of the season, their first game in the Premier League, or back in the Premier League, I should say. That's one of the best goals we'll see this season. The way oh, it was some cons- great goals all weekend. But the actually, way, but the way this one was constructed. Yeah. The way this goal, put it this way, if someone had said Liverpool play Leeds and Leeds will score the best constructed goal of the game, people would believe you. They would believe you because they know how Leeds play. But it's a real credit they showed up with a goal like that, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think the, the main positive I would take if I was Bielsa is that Leeds played the champions and one of the greatest sides the Premier League has seen. Yeah. And completely transferred how they played in the championship into arguably one of the toughest, well, probably the toughest away fixture of the season on their opening day. Yeah. You know, Leeds scored three goals. There aren't going to be many games they score three goals this season and lose. No. And there aren't many times Liverpool can see three goals because you know for a fact that defence will have very precise instructions next time they go out about where they went wrong. Um, and I don't know, Leeds, it's really exciting for them. That, that's arguably, I mean, there'll be harder fixtures for them because of the congestion pile up and because of like, yeah. they'll be fighting maybe at some point, like, you know, mid to lower mid table and maybe they, they might, you know, who knows where they'll end up this year, but... Who knows where anyone will end up this year? No, exactly. That's a, that's something you're looking at in more depth, isn't it? In your mm. your piece, your forthcoming piece for the ringer. But what to me is interesting about this game is the way that Liverpool were resilient, but Leeds were so aggressive with Liverpool's weaknesses. And particular mm. feature I want to talk about very quickly is just the quality of Leeds' long-range passing and yeah. crossfield passing is really going to hurt someone this year on the counter-attack. They have a really unique ability, I think, for a newly promoted side, maybe apart from when Wolves came up because Wolves had such a big summer yeah. where they just absolutely loaded the squad with players who have come from, from top level elsewhere. But they have the ability to make the pitch a lot bigger than a lot of promoted sides right. can do. Yeah. And that's going to really cause some problems for people this season. It's like we said before, they're not, you know, if they score three goals against the majority of the teams in the Premier League, they're not going to come away with nothing. And I think actually from a Klopp perspective, in a weird way, I mean, obviously he won't be completely happy with conceded three goals. I mean, they conceded, what, 33 in the entire season last season. So what's that like? Just under 10% on the first day. But one of those, we got away with this, we won the game, it's minor. Yeah. But it might have shaken them up a bit. You know, another Van Dyke moment where on the grand scheme of things, it's, it's minor, it happens. But it just happens so rarely with Van Dyke that I think the scale of the error is magnified. That makes sense? I think the level of intensity, you know what it is? I think that the level of intensity with which he's being uh, attended to caught him unawares. It's not a complacency, it's different. It's not like he was being slack. It's a different thing. Yeah. It's like, I think the, the, the extra, you saw it with Lacazette, you saw it with Arsenal beating Liverpool, you saw it with the crossfield pass that evaded the Tim for Aubameyangs at Community Shield and the way the defence was organised. There is just a, like an extra 10% intensity, 20% to the way that people attack space behind Van Dyke and his other yeah. defenders. And that extra intensity is what's catching them. It's not like he's thinking, I'm Van Dyke. I'm going to, it's not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying no, that. No, not at all. I'm saying, for example, when he, the ball dropped over his shoulder, he wanted to play a square ball to his fullback, which is actually a great ball because then you can play it up again. It's very progressive thinking. But what he didn't bargain for was that Bamford would be right up on him. Mm. he wasn't counting on that and I think that's the thing I think that if there's anything Klopp can usefully tell his defenders and his midfielders is do you know what this year the Premier League is going to feel slightly quicker because it is because now people are coming for you all those people that saw Liverpool as the plucky underdog to City you are the new hate figures yeah it's the kind of going at the King stuff yeah and it's, a, and it's weird because look, I'd love to see like the kind of the stats for second season like in terms of the intensity with which you're pressed, like how much harder, how much quicker 
our teams up on you because I'm sure those percentages just fly up. I'm sure those yeah. like, reaction times just fly up. So I think Van Dijk is still, I mean, look, put it this way. When Liverpool got done by City and Arsenal got, you know, did City um, in the cup and we saw the Community Shield and now Fulham, sorry, and now Leeds coming at um, Liverpool. The common thread is that the newly crowned champions are receiving a fresh round of aggression. Mm-hmm. In the long run, I think this is a good thing for Liverpool, for sure. Like you, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Mo Salah got a hat-trick, two penalties and an unbelievable second goal. Yeah. Salah coming out a little bit angry. Yeah. The shorter hair. Yeah. A bit more purpose there. The um, fade with a purpose. Yeah, the, the fade with a purpose also, but he's a bit more, he's been a bit more spiky, I think, in the last year or so anyway, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think there's, he's a bit less cuddly, like the Mo Salah that first emerged to like, you know, international prominence. You know, he was already like a big player, don't get me wrong, but like a superstar. That Mo Salah was a lot more cuddly than this one. But maybe cuddly is not what Liverpool need right now. Hey, in the, in the words of Jose Mourinho, nice guys don't win anything. Yeah, which is <laughs> actually not true at all. But if it works for Mourinho, you know, whatever works for Jose. Well, come how, on to Jose. How does he always make it about him? Come on. It's true. That's what. Uh, we had a question. Well, it's not really a question at all. It's more of a, a demand from Jess, from Jess Malone, soccer sabbatical. She just said, bucket content, please. It's good to see the bucket in the prem. What's so interesting about him is he looks like a, like a university lecturer peering over his glasses. You know, like when, you know what it's like? It's like when you ask your students to do a, like um, a piece of calculus mm. and then the lecture hall goes quiet for like 20 minutes and you walk up and down peering over your glasses to see who solved it first. It feels like that. He's such an intriguing dude, man. Yeah. Bielsa. And obviously they were, he would have wanted to win the game and he wouldn't have been happy that they managed to score th- four and concede uh, score three and concede four. Yeah. However, this is kind of like the Bielsa way to lose, right? Right. It's kind of lose. It's, it's that glorious failure or glorious defeat kind of thing. It's just, you go to the home of the champions, you score three goals and you still lose the game. I don't think a single Leeds fan is going to be super, super upset about that. No. But we did have a question because, and it's something that you spoke about before. This is from Usario222. So which of the top six do you think is most likely to get hammered away at Leeds? As an Arsenal fan, I can already see us losing 4-0 there. I think Spurs. I've got a feeling it might be Spurs I, as well, I think actually. I think Spurs because they're the ones who are most likely to get that work. If you look at how United set up, they're pretty good on the counter and they're pretty smart against teams on the counter. United's problem tradition is breaking down teams that sit deep. That is a challenge. Mm. Um, but their complacency has gone from their play I think any team in any kind of tactical disarray will get it. And that at the moment is Spurs by a distance as things stand. I just think they've got too much that you could pick apart there. Yeah, I mean, there's part of me that, you know, from a historical point of view, it wouldn't surprise me if it was Arsenal, but I think as we'll touch on maybe in a minute, there seems to be a shift going on mentality-wise at Arsenal. And... I, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't want to make any massively sweeping judgments already after one game, but this is based on a lot of the progression under Arteta. It would surprise me if Arsenal got absolutely destroyed in the manner that they have done over previous seasons this season. Or if they do, I think it will be far less frequent because I just don't think Arteta is building the side in a way that leaves them vulnerable to that kind of scenario as much. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. It does make sense. I mean, anything more you want to add on Liverpool Leeds or should we move on to Arsenal? I think we're good for that. I think we're good. Yeah. Great opening fixture that though, or That's opening fun. weekend fixture. Yeah. But yeah, let's go to the actual first game, which was Fulham nil, Arsenal three. Um, a lot of people saying it was just Fulham, but Arsenal, I think Tim Stillman wrote this tweet, Arsenal had only taken seven points away last season in the against the bottom seven. So, huge win. Clean sheet. First 10 minutes or so, they were a little bit ropey. You could tell that Gabriel was a new signing who hadn't trained much. But I think as the game progressed, I thought Arsenal just looked kind of like they had an extra gear. Yeah, yeah. What Arsenal do that's so impressive when they play out from the back 
is that they do it and it seems quite mundane and the chances begin to appear. It's like watching one of those like crime movies and someone's breaking into a bank and they just tap the corner of the glass three times and all of a sudden the entire frame shatters. And at first nothing seems to be happening, right? You're like, oh, mm. play out left, play out right. And it all looks very basic. And all of a sudden it's, it's like sort of, it's like, it's like pulling a thread. It's like all of a sudden the left winger in that case, or the left, the left wide forward in that case, Aubameyang is in 10 yards of space and the 10 yards becomes 15 yards because he's so quick and because he's cutting off the wing and because unknown to us without us seeing it, Arteta's done enough homework that he knows that if he plays out a certain way, teams will get dragged across and he springs into the gaps that have been created. It's so impressive. It's like, you know, sounds like a, it's a silly example. When you pull your bedsheets away in the night and the cold, <laughs> the cold air just rushes in. It's like that. He's found a way. He's found a way to get the cold air rushing in under the bedsheets. You know how we were saying um, that Manchester City had a trademark goal? Yeah. Last season, I think it was, or well, I can't, whenever it was. Yeah. <laughs> the never ending season. Arsenal are developing this trademark goal now. Right. Because this is, what, this is maybe the fourth or fifth time we've seen this under Arteta already. Mm. If you actually look at each of these Arsenal goals that they've scored, so the one against Fulham, the one against Liverpool, the one against Manchester City, and there was one against Chelsea as well, right? Right. They've all had potential to be definitely goal of the month candidates, but they're happening at such regularity now with really similar passing patterns. This isn't a fluke. If you look at the kind of Arsenal goal, Emery at Fulham, where it was like, Ramsey scores, but it never feels fully in control. It looks like it could be, it's one touch away from someone tumbling over their own feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the second level of counterattack is the Real Madrid Ajax, which is basically like, they won't have planned that exact movement, but the configuration of those four attacking, was it Benzema, Kaka, Ozil, Ronaldo? Mm. They know roughly where they're going to run and split. They're still improvising, but there's more of a pattern. And this is the final stage of counterattack that you see from Arteta, which is like, Everyone knows exactly what's happening. And the beauty of this system is that you can swap in and out a lot of players with actually not too much discernible impact. Like apart from two or three key players in the Arsenal's team, which, you know, look at Aubameyang and a couple of others where it's essential that they play for this thing to work. I think that what's so impressive about Arsenal, and maybe this goes to squad depth, I've criticised maybe squad depth being an issue, but I'm not sure if I'm even right with that. I think that Arteta is such a good coach. I think we're going to see big performances from players in this squad that we weren't expecting them from along the season. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's, that's a really good point you made. I think that when everyone is on the same page, and I think you've seen this as, I think we quoted this example after the Community Shield using Mohamed Elneny, who was out on loan all last season, has come back and is actually a really handy midfielder. He started, I think, both, well, he started the Community Shield and he started on Saturday. And it's clear that Arteta actually quite likes him. And I wonder if this kind of goal is a really good reason why, because he's so tidy with the ball and really good at small, short, intricate passes that, I mean, if you see how much Arsenal invite the opposition onto them so close to their own box, and then there's always one pass out that just completely turns the opposition and then they're away. It's not even really a counter-attack. It's more of a kind of a, do you know what it's like? It's like, you know, when you have like a fishing rod with like a hundred dollar bill on it. Yeah. And someone's just chasing it down the road and you're constantly just reeling it in. Sounds like your tweets. What? Let me live. <laughs> hey, listen. <laughs> that was perfect. You know, that was so unfair. That was gaslighting. No, <laughs> you literally did to me the analogy that I was trying to explain. You just Arteta-balled me. <laughs> <laughs> what you did then was the equivalent of Hector Bellerin's clip into midfield, which went to Willian, and exactly. then Willian's cross-field pass. <laughs> exactly. That's and I'm exactly. scampering towards my own box. Exactly. <laughs> and I've not even been playing that badly. You're not. No, you're playing really well. <laughs> yeah. so, it was such, just, a, such a nice analogy. I was like, you, oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Great analogy, Ryan. Uh, anyway, so... Um, Great Arsenal performance. It was just Fulham, yes. However, you can only beat who's in front of you. Yes. All these cliches. They're creating attacking moves that are really, really hard to defend against. And you've now seen teams at both ends of the table struggle to defend against them. That's really key for Arsenal. I think also having someone like Willian in there, who I was admittedly a little bit on the fence about in terms of the profile of signing, but he was great on the weekend. 
two assists on his debut, one from a set piece. I thought he was really, really great all game. Gabriel was great as well. Who, I mean, Gabriel and William Saliba to come in, who I think Arsenal are going to be patient with. But they are big dudes, you know. And Arsenal were on the verge, I think, of creating a really young defence that is really quite intimidating. Yeah. Because Tierney, even though he's a fullback, for example, is, you know, he can handle himself. He's a Glasgow boy. There's no mess there for sure. Strong back for that. Question here though, talk of Bellerin mm. going elsewhere, but the way that like certain teams have started, I don't think that's happening. I don't think they need to. Now, I think getting that much money for Emmy Martinez, I think will probably mean that you don't have to sell someone like Bellerin. That saddens me, the Martinez thing. Yeah, but also he deserves to be a number one. He does. I think, he does. I think it's questionable. If Arsenal are going to bring in a, a backup keeper for 10 million, then I'm not sure that I personally would have done the deal, but he may have wanted it. You know, I think he proved that he could be a number one. Yeah. I thought the calls for him to replace Leno as the number one at Arsenal were really premature. And personally, I still think Leno is an all-round better goalkeeper. I agree. But he's just one of those. Maybe that just makes sense for everyone. Amazing signing for Villa. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. That could, it's a massive cliche about how many points like keepers are worth, but he could be really handy for Villa this season. He's worth a lot. Yeah. Yeah. One other shout out I want to do before we move on from Arsenal is Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who seemed to play this position that I've not actually ever seen before, which was a kind of inverted wing-back false nine hybrid. What the? What, an eight? No. Sounds like an, an eight. eight. Sounds like an eight. Listen, you and your... That sounds like theory peddling eight <laughs> and on. <laughs> Moose, is, Moose is part of this global world elite that's trying to convert us all into number eights anyway. Like him and Bill Gates are working together. They're going to chip us all into no, but number no, no. eights. Look, I'm just, I'm just asking the question. I'm just asking the question. An inverted wing back, right? I mean, it's a false nine. In terms of the position of a player like that, so slightly. It is basically, it is basically David Silva. He's an eight. Basically. He's an eight. Yes, there it is. Which is actually, I think, probably his best position. Yeah. So there you go. It comes full circle. I did it. Moose has completed football. Before we take a break, we've obviously spoke about Bielsa and we spoke about Scott Parker. Well, we didn't actually talk about Scott Parker, but Scott Parker sartorially taking the season very seriously. Yes. I tweeted that he was channeling big Ancelotti at Napoli energy. Because Ancelotti looked spectacular at Napoli with a navy, a navy suit jacket with grey trousers. Which a lot of people, it split the crowd, I'm not going to lie. A lot of people went into that. Um, but Scott Parker threw it is in a, a... It is a bit tennis umpire. Yeah, but I think Ancelotti looked quite regal with it. Scott I'm, Parker, I thought, not. looked quite good. But there was a touch of the prefect about it. School him. prefect, yeah. School prefect, yeah. But he had a tie clip. An obscenely high tie clip, by the way, which sent digital tongues wagging on the internet. <laughs> it was from Nate Ashburn. We had a question. It said, Bielsa's attire versus Scott Parker attire. Please discuss. Well, I suppose you can't really discuss in the sense that who's most comfortable in their own skin, I think, is the key. It's all about dressing in a way that allows you to communicate best about yourself and to your players. Mm. And Bielsa's happiest in that place. I think sometimes, when I think of that thing he uses the style of like, you know, sitting on the bucket and dress like he's on the training ground. He was drinking a coffee at one point as well. Do you see? Well, <laughs> to me, the game. I, yeah, but I think to that is almost like you're continuously being coached. It's almost the message being, it's just football. It's just, yeah. what, we, it's just what we did on the training ground. Yeah. We, step, we step from the training ground onto the pitch and we just execute. We just have yeah. fun. We just, there's a great thing that someone said, um, Nikola Jokic, when the Denver Nuggets beat the Clippers in the recent playoff game. And he said, we were encouraged to go out there and have fun. So even in the third and fourth quarters, we're having fun. And I just wonder if that's part of his way of allowing his players to play with freedom, you know, for Bielsa. You look at the way the yeah. NBA, yeah, the Nuggets playing with freedom against the Clippers and playing great. Yeah. And I think I would compare the Nuggets to what Leeds have been doing. Bielsa's like a cartoon character. You know how cartoon characters only wear one outfit for like 16 seasons? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what Bielsa's like, basically. If you walk, because every picture of him walking through town, the town centre in Leeds He's wearing a Leeds tracksuit. No matter where he is, no matter wherever he's been photographed in the last couple of years, he's wearing a Leeds tracksuit. With or without a Sainsbury's reusable bag. Didn't he remind me of? I never saw... I, ne I never knew much about J.R. Tolkien's relationship with his fans. 
but he kind of reminds me a bit of that. He reminds me a bit of like if J.R.R. Tolkien had walked around the streets of the UK after the third Lord of the Rings movie came out and people coming up to him one after the other going, Mr. Tolkien, thank you so much. We're so grateful what you've done. And he, him just looking bewildered, like he's been so yeah. immersed in his books for so long and writing them that he can't believe how much joy he's brought people. And Bielsa walking around Leeds was so interesting. It was quite moving. Watching people come up to him going, we're so grateful. And it wasn't, I don't think it was the language barrier. It was more like he could not believe how overwhelmed people were by what he'd given them. Yeah. And he looked overwhelmed. He looked not baffled. He looked grateful, but he looked like, I've been so busy staring at like my little league tables and tactics and this and that, that I can't believe how much joy this has brought people. Does yeah. that make sense? And it was quite moving. It was quite lovely to see like this guy, like, oh my God, they, they like me. They really like me. It was quite lovely, really. Yeah. On that heartwarming note, let's take a break. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. All right, back from the break. And before we move on to the rest of the Premier League, I want to talk about briefly. We're going to talk about La Liga more next week because the big, the big boys are back next week. But I want to talk about the Huesca goal against Villarreal. Off the back of the Arsenal goal against Fulham, this was also up there for team goal of the weekend. Maybe not best goal of the weekend because we need to talk about that amazing Irving Cardona goal against Dijon. The unbelievable, it was almost like double pump volley in oh midair. It was oh, unbelievable. Oh, the far post. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. That was like McManaman's volley. Oh, so the good. The flying, man. yeah, yeah, from so back good. in the day. But the Huesca goal against Villarreal, this was an amazing move. If you haven't seen it, anyone go watch it. It was amazing. In fact, Colin Miller tweeted it earlier. Right. Pablo Maffeo scored it, playing out from the back. David Ferrero's flick to Juan Carlos. He played like a one-two with Juan Carlos in the middle of the pitch that I swear it was so good that it couldn't have been deliberate. As in like, the instinctive, the instinctive. As in where Juan Carlos started and where Juan Carlos picked up the, the one-two, it was unbelievable in the middle of the park. Honestly, go watch this goal. They drew one all at Unai Emery's first league game as VRL coach. But yeah, I'm a little bit worried about VRL this season, not going to lie. I don't understand that appointment. I'm sorry. They brought Danny Perejo and Francis Coquelin in from Valencia. But obviously, they lost Santi Gazzola, who was such a massive part of that right. team last season. I'm just a little bit worried about them, but we'll cover them a lot more, no doubt. Let's talk about Spurs Everton, who a number of people have been tweeted as are two contenders for Catfish, potentially, of the year. But... Everton are looking legit. It's weird because you had the additions of James Rodriguez and Decore. Mm. The, before they had Sigurdsson and Gomes, and the balance wasn't quite right. Um, they've obviously lost, Adri you know, they lost Idrissa Gay a couple of years ago. And now I th it's weird because Idrissa Gay was underrated when he was at Everton and Decore underrated at Watford. And it's weird, like Everton have done well at picking up really great ball winners with a touch of creativity about them. They've done really well at doing that. And that's great scouting by them. I like that midfield balance. And I, I, I liked so much of what Hamas Rodriguez did. And this is the thing, the CV on this guy, mm. two Champions League wins, a deep run in the World Cup, a lead playmaker for Bayern, like a, a key playmaker for them, brilliant under Ancelotti. There is not a thing about this signing that I do not love. Me neither. It's, it's incredible. And it's the marquee signing that Everton deserve. 
I, I think actually, I mean, I, I would argue, and this is a bit of a hot take, he's technically as gifted as anyone maybe Everton ever had. And in style of play, his particular performance that he gave, this is a bit of a throwback, but reminded me a bit of Kevin Sheedy mm. from the great Everton teams, a deep lying player who wasn't just playing the passes, but putting a foot in, like watching him do recovery tackles, watching him track back. I was like, this guy is, he's gone under the radar. Mm. And by the end of this season, I hope that other clubs are looking at him going, I wish we'd made a punt for him. Yeah. Really exciting. Really exciting for them. Mourinho wasn't happy after the game. And I would be a little bit concerned about this if I was a Spurs fan. I know it's the first game of the season and players are coming back at various levels of fitness, but he was talking about, you know, players. some players only came back the day before and some players haven't been fit and we haven't had a proper good season or we haven't had a good preseason and we haven't got like a state of mind to win the game or it's a poor state of mind. I'm paraphrasing. But I just thought, these are all things that are kind of your responsibility as a manager here. And I, don't, I didn't really get why he came out with that stuff. If you compare it to Everton, for example, who may struggle this year. We, we tipped them to be really good last season and they did struggle, but I think under Ancelotti, they're a very, very kind of different side. Yep. And they're, re- they're really starting to form an identity here and you can see it. There's progress. I think Spurs is still really messy in terms of what they are on the pitch, you know, currently. Peak Mourinho was an expert at having exactly the conversations he wanted you to have. Mm. The Mourinho we're seeing now, the defensive one who throws players under a bus, questions their mentality. That's not a master plan. He's buying himself time. Mm. Shouldn't be that short first game of the season, I don't think. Anyway. No, I agree. I agree. I agree. Uh, let's move on to Monday's games. So let's start maybe with the Brighton-Chelsea game because we're recording this not long after the final whistle. Yep, yep. We've got our first look at Timo Werner and Kai Havertz in competitive action for Chelsea. No Hakam Ziyech yet. He's no. out with an injury. Obviously, Christian Pulisic is still out with an injury. This is under construction. Yeah, like, totally. You look at this, I remember that I saw the team sheet and I thought, this is too many new pieces at once for it to be coherent. And it's too many new combinations at once, like Loftus-Cheek, Kante, Jorginho, behind that front three, mm. Mount, Werner, Havertz. I looked at that and thought, those pieces don't necessarily cohere. It seemed weird because on the Sky lineup, they had Havertz as the 10, I think. He was clearly playing a bit, little bit wider. Yeah, he didn't play like the 10. The commentary was like, oh, he's not really getting involved. And no one's finding him because no one knows what he does yet. Mm. And, you know, it's really striking. One thing that always strikes me with Havertz is he's so big, like physically. Yeah, he's a big dude, yeah. So imposing. And it seemed a waste to have him in a, in a wide area. Werner, naturally much more comfortable in wide spaces, moving well, combining well, running well directly. This is interesting because the weird, weird thing about looking at Chelsea, now they brought all the players in, now the signings are done, is the question for them is going to be over time. And I think this is the thing with Pulisic, you realise what value he will bring to it. Mm. I wonder what the final configuration of Chelsea's attack will be. Yeah, I don't think it's anywhere near done yet. No, and I don't think that the midfield is their final configuration either. That's not their best midfield either. Um, and the thing, Brighton are superbly coached and looked really good. And unfortunately, at each point they looked really good, they went a goal further behind. I know, yeah. It's uncanny. <laughs> they looked so good until the 1-0. They, looked, they were in the ascendancy. They equalised. Then they conceded for the 2-1. What did you message in the first 15 minutes? I messaged, what if Chelsea are the, I said, what if Chelsea are the catfish? <laughs> and this and is- And then the, it was 1-0. Well, no, but this is also a fair thing. This is like, Brighton are beautifully coached and better coached team. Look, Chelsea can improve. Of course they are. But here's the thing. Brighton are a team- where the limitations of the squad will let them down. It will not be for want of effort. It will not be for want of coaching. It will be because they cannot execute that half step quicker or they don't have the ruthlessness. You know what Brighton reminded me of? They reminded me of a really good team in the early rounds of the World Cup mm. that can't beat the favourite. And if Brighton had a ruthless 
number nine, then tonight we'd be talking about a hiccup. They lost Adam Lallana as well, which was a big... It was a big loss, yeah. Yeah, because he's going to be a really key player for them this season. Right, and I think this was another game where you think, oh, this is... um, It's a nice... It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great test for Chelsea. Well, it's kind of like we were saying before with the, the Liverpool thing. Maybe not the worst win in the... Uh, not the worst win in the world. You've ultimately got the three points anyway, but still a hell of a lot of room for improvement. And there are a lot of new pieces in this Chelsea side. A hell of a lot, yeah. The only reason I can imagine that Lampard was playing Havertz where he was was to maybe just kind of give him a taste. Mm. But to be honest, Havertz is that good that you kind of want him where he's, he's strong. I mean, he only made 25 passes all game, and I think 10 of those were in, his, were in the defensive third. Right. I think he only completed 22. Which, you know, percentage-wise is great, but you want him on the ball a hell of a lot more. And closer to Timo Werner, who can run channels really well, but I don't know. It felt a little bit weird playing Ruben Loftus-Cheek in the position that you'd probably imagine that Kai would have been the best suited for. Loftus-Cheek doesn't knit together teams as well as Havertz would from a deeper position. That's fine. And I think, like I say, a lot of these issues are quickly resolved as players get to know each other better and as Pulisic returns and all the rest of it. But it was a really interesting insight, I think, into the challenges of chemistry. Um, And also like this is the thing as well, like they got three goals at Brighton. Mm. That's incredibly impressive. Brighton is not a place, if you'd said to anybody at the start of this game, any Chelsea fan, you're going to win 3-1 at Brighton, they'd be like, oh my God, incredible. And the pluses from this are huge. You look at the you know, goal for Zuma, but also for Reese James. Yeah. Reese James. Well, he got a been... goal and assist for Reese James and a goal and assist for Jorginho, who was captain. Really nice. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. Yeah. That's a, those are huge takeaways. I mean, yeah, it's hard, to, it's hard to pull any massive sweeping conclusions from this game because, like you say, Chelsea are missing a lot of players who you would imagine will be key players come November, December, mm. fitness depending. But who do you think is the three? If, if Lampard's going to play the system, yeah. so like a three behind a one, who do you think that three is? Because it's obviously going to be Werner up front as the main guy. Then I think it's... Let's go left to right. Left to right. Um, Ziyech. No, no, Pulisic actually. Yeah, Pulisic, Havertz, Ziyech. Ziyech, yeah. Pulisic, that's Harvest, three, yeah. I think. That's what I think, yeah. Because that gives you everything. Yeah, I think that's probably the strongest. But again, it depends on chemistry. Yeah, and whether they want to trial this kind of second striker thing with, or Werner as like a second striker behind someone like, or next to someone like Olivier Giroud or Tammy Abraham, because I actually think that's a real problem, those two. But we said this before. Yeah. And we, we also said that as much as we love the Harvard signing, in terms of you go and get Harvard's, the pieces that Chelsea have got, it's going to be, it's going to take them a while to figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. The other Premier League game on Monday was Sheffield United nil Wolves 2. Kind of done at the end of the first half. Wolves getting off to a fast start, which may be surprised Sheffield United, I'm not sure. Mm. Um, but they attacked them early and got a great reward. And that's an interesting fixture because that's kind of, those are two teams that had a very similar trajectory last season. But in terms of their like overall journey, they yeah. were two teams that you'd put as like roughly head to head, which is a huge credit to both and in particular to Sheffield United, actually. I think it's going to be a really interesting season for both of those. It'd be really interesting to see where Sheffield United position themselves this season. Mm, right. I really hope they don't suffer from second season syndrome because I really like Chris Wilder. I really like the job he's done there. And I think it's just great to have them in the league. Yeah. Well, do you know what, actually, can I, can I compare Sheffield United to someone with the best possible compliment? I think Sheffield United are very similar to Arsenal in one way, in the sense that the system the pieces in Sheffield United, you can swap them in and out because each player knows so well what they're doing within the system. And I think that Wolves, as well coach as they are, do have, I think, the top end of the Wolves' talent, you know, specifically Jota, Jimenez, Traore, like those three teams, those three players are the Champions League quality. And Almost the individualism, the individual quality of those players allows Wolves to rely more on them. Like yeah. you, those guys are missing. You see, I think a big drop off in Wolves, in a, in the, and you don't see the same drop off with Sheffield United if they're missing three of their primary scorers or creators. That's a good if, that, if that makes sense, 
I'm looking forward to seeing Sheffield United um, Arsenal for that reason, actually, and seeing how those two teams try to unpick each other. Ooh. Does that make sense in terms of a tactical battle? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Karen, there's League Cup games this week. This so is... much football. <sighs> so much. Speaking of Cup, it was the opening round of the German Cup this weekend. Mm, yep, yep. And there weren't a huge amount of surprises. There were a couple, but Dortmund beat Duisburg 5-0 away on Monday. Three English-born goal scorers out of the five. Oh, who was the third? Bellingham and Sancho, but who was the third? Gio Reyna. Oh, wow. Born in Sunderland. So he can play for England. <laughs> Not well, stop. And, well, you had Holland playing as well. Gonna he was born in England. Going to cause some trouble. So I think, yeah, four, four, uh, four English-born players in that starting. Do you know what? I was thinking this before. This, that's um, obviously a great run out for, for Dortmund. What was um, interesting for me was the failure to secure Jadon Sancho for United. Well, have they yet though? Well, if this is the thing, if I, this is what I was going to say, like if they fail, that's a massive blow to the momentum of what they're trying to build there. Um, I just hope they haven't telegraphed that move too much. Mm. And it's funny because a lot of United fans have gone from, well, on Twitter at least, which is not necessarily representative of the real world. A lot of United fans on Twitter have been like, gone from being, oh, we don't need him at all to being like, get him at all costs because I think they're finally understanding just what kind of player he is. Yeah. Um, they, they, they really like, yeah, they, they need, they need a dude like that for sure. Who doesn't? Who doesn't need a Jaden Sancho? I know, I know, I know. It is what it is. Um, another game tonight was uh, Dinamo Dresden against Highest Foul at Dresden in front of t- about 10,000 fans. One of which ended up having an altercation with Tony Leisner, who is from Dresden, used to play for Dinamo. I think it was his debut for Highest Foul. He's been interviewed after the game. A fan apparently threw a load of abuse at him about his wife and his, I think, unborn child or newborn child. Good grief. And he went into the crowd, Eric Dyer style. It looked really bad. He then posted the thing on Instagram, which basically said, I received massive insults from the stands in my hometown after the game. I can usually handle that. But then it went extremely and massively below the belt against my family, my wife and my daughter. At that moment, my fuses were blown, especially since this was an extremely emotional game for me anyway. Still, something like that should never happen to me. I'm a family man who wants to serve as a role model. I apologize in all form for my behavior and can only promise that no matter what insults are thrown at me, something like this will never happen again. Wow. I mean... Because he went back and continued the interview after the game as well. It took a little bit of the heat off highest foul collectively because they lost 4-1 to Dinamo, who had just been relegated to the, the Dritta Liga. And who got majorly screwed over by the pandemic and the fixtures. Yeah, they had a backlog of fixtures at the end of last year. We actually did an episode about it yeah. um, due to numerous positive tests. They got really, really screwed, Dinamo, yeah. last year. Yeah. So hopefully they will bounce straight back up this year. Yeah. Take another break. Yeah, let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. All right, back from the break, let's talk about Le Classique quick before we touch on the Women's Super League. This was a extremely spiky game, which ended up with five red cards given almost at the same time, right at the end of the game. I think there were 11 yellows before that. 12 yellows, sorry. 12 yellows, five reds. Marseille beating PSG for the first time since 2011, yet more continuation of a Pretty decent job that Andre Villas-Boas is doing at Marseille. 
Yeah. There were fans at the Parc de France, which I thought was wild, especially given the circumstances of coronavirus in France at the moment. Um, but there were also fans at the West Ham Arsenal game in the Women's yep. Super League on the weekend. Marseille went 1-0 up, probably should have been 2-0 up because Benedetto had a goal disallowed because Florian Tovan was offside, although he actually wasn't on the image that they gave. Yeah, Tovan who claimed the winner as well. This was a hard watch. I went back and I had to re-watch the first half because I was watching the Nuggets Clippers. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I would be pretty concerned uh, if I was Thomas Tuchel because the PSG have lost their first two games of a, first two games of a league and a season without scoring any goals for the second time in their history. The last time they did it was 1978-79. Whoa. I mean, talk about back down to earth with a bump, right? After going to their first ever Champions League final. Brutal. But can I just say something here though as well? I think that they, they played on Thursday night, right? As well. Yeah. It was only three weeks ago, three weeks on Sunday, just gone, that the Champions League final was played. Now you've seen with La Liga and the Premier League, a number of teams who went deep in Europe have got an extra week off because they've given them 30 days after their European campaigns. It's not happening quite that way in Germany. Bayern will get basically four weeks anyway. However, is that an issue? Uh, well, look, the, the Lance thing is weird because Lance, they rested a lot of players. There were like six yeah. players missing. So that defeat, that's the type of team that Lance, when they saw the lineup, they'd be like, we fancy ourselves tonight. I, mm. I can see I can see why Lance would have won that. To be honest, that's the kind of game where that was weird. That was almost like the PSG team before the wild cash injection, if you think about it. Yeah, it was like it was like sort of oh. Lance was like, oh, this is the PSG that that we can beat. Almost took pride in proving that. Now, the outfit that Marseille faced, a very different beast. Yeah. Virtually full strength. Of course, they've lost to Thiago Silva and a couple, you know, a couple of like, what, a couple of the players weren't playing. Marquinhos was not in midfield, which is a big difference for them because Marquinhos runs midfield for them when he's doing well. But all the same, PSG in a bit of a hole. Marseille stealing a march and then Monaco top of the league. Shout out to Nico Kovac. Putting those points back will not necessarily be that easy because this PSG team could drop more points. Yeah. It could drop more points because now, if you proceed with the midfield configuration of Gay, Herrera and Verratti, People have watched this being broken down. Mm-hmm. People have seen that an aggressive approach pays off. And I hate to say, I don't want to like recommend that people go out and sort of start kicking people around. I'm just saying that football is a copycat sport. And that just the same way that people now look behind Alexander Arnold much more and start targeting that gap behind him, just like the gap behind Danny Alves got targeted. Once someone sees a strategy work once in football, another one works. So I think we're going to see a lot more roughhouse treatment for PSG this season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it started in the first half of this. I mean, we'll get onto the name I red card in, in a little bit, but yeah, the guy who he was tangling with for the red card, Alvaro, yeah, was also involved in a bit of a thing in the first half where he said that like Angel Di Maria spat at him. But the red card for Neymar, something was clearly going on because they were going at each other for longer than a normal thing would have gone for, I think. Right. So it was clear where, as it was unfolding, like, and you I don't want to go all like, you know, body language reader, but something was clearly being said that was pretty off key because it kept going and kept going and kept going. Right. And now Neymar basically threw a punch, got a red after VAR, after it went to VAR. It was a straight red as well, not a second yellow. Mm. And then as he was coming off, he, was, he said to the assistant referee in Spanish, Basically, he was saying some racist stuff, which he actually said he called him a, a monkey SOB. Well, yeah. And he went on um, Twitter, went on Twitter yeah, and said it afterwards and said, look, where's the VAR for that? Where's the slow-mo for that footage for what he said yeah. to me? Which was pretty bold because he was, like, he was like, okay, Neymar's bar is basically like, somebody must have picked that up. And this is the thing with Neymar, right? Neymar has his critics for many different things know for play acting for this and that but here is the thing Neymar will have heard every insult under the sun as a footballer yep and I I have never seen him go off like that at something being said no I haven't I haven't seen that and like I've seen Neymar get there may be an instance where it's happened but I've not seen it I've I've not seen him get but in, in all the games I've seen him play like he's a pretty robust character and I 
I got to say, I feel for him because it's very difficult. A good friend asked me, shout out to Alex Todorovic. Alex asked me, was like, ah, oh, like, how should this be handled? My main thing is, well, first of all, I don't know how you handle it because you need the footage first. Yeah. If you don't have the footage, you can't do anything. In terms of how you handle it, I think like pretty severe. I think that's a severe ban. To be honest, a thing like that, I'd do them for a quarter, half a season. Easy. I just wonder with Alfaro Gonzalez, I wonder with him what the ripple effect would be in his dressing room. I'm interested by that because of course we'll never know. But I wonder if there's a few players in that dressing room going, do you know what, dude? Like, I mean, he obviously him. came out and denied it afterwards. and Of course he did. You know, and gave the whole, like, there's no room for racism thing, as did Vyash Boas. I can't imagine that you would make up something like that based on that reaction. The problem is that this duel is so political, I can't see it. It's like with United and Evra and Suarez. That was never going to be a serious mm. conversation about racism because it was so tribal. Well, yeah, exactly. Especially because of these two sides, right? So yeah, yeah. it was just really nasty all game. Yeah, it was. I said on Twitter that it reminded me a little bit of those really tetchy Mourinho Pep era classicos, but without the quality. Like the quality of football wasn't as good and the, actually the quality of shit algebra wasn't that good either. It was That's just true. relentless. But it wasn't a it wasn't a fun game to watch. Usually like, you know, even in the Classicos when they would really kick off, it would be like, here we go. Yeah, right. And it right. would be like popcorn time. Right. Because you knew that you were going to get a few moments of absolute magic throughout. They were quite stressful to watch, but they were stressful and rewarding. Yeah. This wasn't massively rewarding at all. No, not at all. So PSG are in the bottom three. They'll probably win the league still, but still it's quite fun. Fun to see Marseille socially distancing themselves from PSG in the league table. <laughs> um, we had a couple of questions about Mbappe because there's been a few stories emerge about him wanting to go to Real Madrid. One from Footy Library on Twitter who said, if you were Mbappe watching the end of that game, would you want to be out the door sooner than 2021? Answer, yes. I wouldn't just say in relation to that game. I just think he's taken PSG as far as he can or taken his PSG career as far as he can. What more can you do there? Win a Champions League? Oh, there's not much more. And Real is waiting. Benzema is slowly but surely aging. And there's a ready-made role for Mbappe in that front three, I think. Well, any time, frankly, mm, because Mbappe. Doesn't he play where Hazard plays, though? It's Mbappe, though. Would you switch Hazard to the opposite flank? It's Mbappe. Yeah, you do. I mean, yes, it is, obviously. Yeah. But still, yeah. I mean, a fully fit Hazard, Mbappe yeah. and Benzema up front. Is... Yes, yeah, it's going to eat. It'll Yikes. feast, It'll, or just put put Hazard behind them as a just put them as a. Ooh, yeah. You trying to turn Hazard into an eight? <laughs> well, actually. Oh my God! Let's Hazard, just give it a rest, man. Hazard and Isco. Number eights, number eights can't melt steel beams. <laughs> right? They can't. <laughs> we said this before. We're going to make it a hashtag. It's going to the conspiracy. My conspiracy. Eight G. Eight G. Eight G conspiracy was stopped. Oh my God! Truth out. Listen. Listen. Hazard behind Benzema and Mbappe is hot to trot. Oh, I do like that. And you know how Real, Real are so practical, they'd make that happen. They just make it work. Oh, Real don't care. They just chuck anyone on there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll talk more about Real next week. Uh, let's move on to the Women's Super League. Yep, yep. Two big wins. Huge. Man City drop points at home against Brighton. Nil-nil. Probably did enough to win the game, but they, you know, along with Chelsea now, have both dropped early points of the season. Arsenal seem to be on a mission and Chelsea have woken up with first goals of the season. For, well, first Chelsea goal for Pernilla Harder, which was lovely. Little yep. back heel into the corner. Sam Kerr got the ninth. You raised, you, you raised a really good point about the Chelsea goal scorers, right? Well, yeah, they're all different. Every yeah. goal scorer was different, which says it speaks to the, you know, the variety of goals was remarkable. The variety of goal scores is remarkable. This is who Chelsea are. They mm. can hurt you from multiple angles. They swap in and swap out. And also what was scary for other teams to watch, the way in which Sam Kerr and Panil Harder combined already, those two already have an understanding. Many loopholes was great. You know, this, this Chelsea team is a problem. And yeah, I mean, they, they, and they, they, did, and they, they took a game to click last season as well, didn't they? They did, they did. And if they, um, the weird thing is if they get stung in the league, they might end up singing Europe. Yeah. You know, this, this Chelsea team is going to put a hurt on a lot more good, good sides before this season is out. They were phenomenal. The way they flow when they're on it, 
I think what gives me the nod, although Arsenal have been superb this year, don't get me wrong, they've been wonderful. And, you know, as you were saying, Reading, like, serious proposition. But to come out back to back, like 6-1 and 9-1, dispatching West Ham like this, they are, they are coming with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. And what I just want to say about the City result, it's interesting that um, they had Brighton under siege, but the siege looked fairly comfortable. Like, it was weird at no point, even though City was swarming the Brighton final third, I always felt like they had it handled. Like, the point is, I felt like an extra 15 minutes, I still couldn't see City scoring because I didn't see they had that plan. And it's weird. You wouldn't have thought with the summer they've had that Rose Lavelle would be really badly needed in that lineup. But I think she brings a dimension that might open this thing up. And also, she's like, one of, I mean, she's one of the best playmakers in world football. She is, she is, she is. And also, like, there's a thing as well, the City finishing. It's funny because we saw this from the game against, um, uh, the Community Shield game against Chelsea. There's sort of a slight hangover in the finishing. Yeah. And <laughs> there was a bit of rusty finishing, unfortunately. I mean, Ellen White didn't have her best game. No, she was really angry at herself. She missed that one sitter, do you remember? Yeah, beyond the far post. And if that one goes in, you start thinking maybe they get an onslaught, but it never really came. Mm. Interesting times. And also just a shout out to Manchester United. Yeah. Who beat Birmingham in very impressive fashion, 5-2. Mm-hmm. That midfield access of Gronen and Zellem is serious. It's serious. And that, that's still to add Tobin Heath to that. Um, well, Tobin Heath, Press- Kristen Press and Alicia Rosso. So listen, that is, they are going to be super interesting. They are approaching the rear view mirror extremely fast, extremely fast. Yeah. I mean, that top three could very easily become a top four. Yeah, and yeah. you know, obviously Alex Morgan's announced that she's going to, to Spurs on a short term deal. That would be really interesting to see how that plays out because she only gave birth four months ago. Well, we were saying as well that the other guys and, you know, we're having a chat with the other ringer guys and the energy in that transfer is so funny. I go to Spurs, like everyone else is going to the big places. I'm going to strike out by myself and prospect for something different. And Spurs, actually interesting team, got some nice pieces. And the one thing they were lacking maybe last year was a focal point for the attack. Mm. Um it was weird, a different context. You know, when I, when I saw Leeds playing, just like at the men's game, and Bamford was slightly shot shy for the opening chance he got against Liverpool, and watching Spurs against Chelsea last year, and then subsequently, I always felt like there was a good build-up there, but they lacked a killer touch and a finish. And Morgan's move is quite smart, because I think her calculation is, I go to Spurs and all they really need is a finisher. I don't know. I think, that, I think that's an interesting conversation. I think it's a really smart move for her in terms of where she's at. She'll be yeah. able to get back to full fitness, yeah. contribute to a side who probably don't expect to win anything this season, apart from maybe go on a cut run. Yeah. There's not a lot of pressure there on her. No, no. And she's a massive, massive star. I think it's a really kind of smart move for everyone. It's actually. great. It's intriguing. Yeah. 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 Um, but quickly before we've, we wrap, because we, we kind of skipped past Arsenal, but I just want to give Joel Rod a shout. Two hat-tricks in two games. Yes. For Joel Broad. Uh, more angry goals from Viv Miedema. <laughs> well, she got the second Arsenal goal to regain the lead and followed it up with another smash into it like when, uh, when the ball came out. It was like that, you know, in the day-to-day when Alan Partridge is doing the football highlights and he's just like, oh, and another one. <laughs> <laughs> do you know, do you know, I want to do a thing where I'm like, can, can you, as, as Stadio listeners, can we keep an eye out for angry goals actually this season? Yeah, well, we've because, been a load of people yeah. have been tweeting us actually, and um, we might have to come up with a hashtag or something so I can go back and track them all. But we will, or maybe we'll just do it like a weekly angry, angry medium, goals, or just yeah. angry, angry, call it angry medium for hashtag, <laughs> and then whoever scores the angry goal, which is the hashtag angry medium, because no one else will be using that. Maybe, yeah, we'll see. We'll have a think. Don't, don't, don't send them yet. We'll have to think about this because this yeah. could become another thing. Could be a thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, catfish, roll next to cardigans. Stadio Award for the angriest goal. HG. Yeah. For those of you who listen, this is the HG conspiracy officially. If you see a player who could be turned into an eight, who could be converted to our movement, please at me with the hashtag HG conspiracy. Stop Please. it. No, I don't want that hashtag anywhere near me or anything. <laughs> I don't want anything with G or a number or conspiracy in a hashtag anywhere near me. We're building our HG network. Oh, listen, right? Listen. Listen. 
Stadio is purer than this. You don't need this. That's true. We don't. You've already done enough damage in the past year with all of your nonsense. All right. I am so the. But I, but I am the populist. If you think of it, I am the populist. Yeah, Musa just wants to bring the whole thing down, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm just trying to keep it all afloat. Anti-establishment. <laughs> oh God! But it's, between between you and me, if any of you see a player who could be an eight, who's stop not stop it. His no, this isn't a, your propaganda machine. <laughs> all right, I'm going to save you all, listeners, and get this conspiracy theory peddling mischievous nuisance out of the way out of your ears yeah i'm gonna fade him out but yeah before we go we hope everyone is doing okay yeah yeah and yeah stay safe and well uh if you want to get in touch about anything drop us an email if it's nice stadiofootball.gmail.com you can tweet us at stadio on twitter if you want to tweet any mean stuff at okwanga <laughs> any questions about attire at ryan hun stadio.football is our website don't forget to check the ringer.com forward slash sock forward slash why can't I say that today forward slash soccer nailed it yeah yeah and anything else to add Musa I sound a bit boring this episode a very good friend of mine wrote an amazing essay about her post-covid symptoms and they were really distressing like really grim stuff like strange pains like almost like sort of electric shocks it's really weird it's such a it's such a strange virus yeah man like and when I keep hearing these symptoms I feel like a lot of us don't fully understand how severe this thing is. The other day I was heading out to the store um, and I had to go via the train and I left my mask at home and I basically just sprinted back and got it. Oh yeah, it's but, like essential part. It's like leaving, yeah, leaving your wallet at home now. It's like leaving your wallet, leaving your keys. I just yeah, think definitely. it's worth going out of your way just to sort that thing out, just for yourself and for others. So yeah, that's all I'd say. Um, obviously, hydration messages will be resumed so after this preachy, episode. man. God. I know, so... I know, but do you know what I mean? It's like, here's the thing. As a poet, I'm used to being held in contempt anyway, so I don't mind <laughs> people roll their... I don't mind people roll their eyes, no. We're playing out this week on Chris and Cozy, Hybrid C. Yeah, stay safe, everyone. We'll be back on Thursday. Stay hydrated. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. 
Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.